Welcome into the BetUS College Football Show. It is week two, part two, and we are going over the afternoon slate for Saturday. Today is, of course, Wednesday, September 7th. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And let's go on and get right into it. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the experts. Today, we're going to start on the right side. And hopefully we'll be on the right side for all of these picks that we're about to give. But Kyle Hunter, he is the award-winning professional handicapper. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle, how are you good, sir? And Kyle has frozen. <laughs> Parker, let's go to you. Left side, numbers guy, analyst, the numerical guru uh, at Stats of War on Twitter. Parker, how's everything rolling? Hey, doing great. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna make fun of Kyle for wearing the Kansas State and the Iowa hat back to back. That's like a very meaty uh, Middle America football choice this week, and so I was gonna um, point that out. But he was frozen there, so I was trying to come up with something else. But man, excited! I think he's back now. Excited for, uh, uh, excited for some picks this week. There's some, uh, some really interesting games this week. Some really good clashes of styles. Some numbers that I thought, hmm, I'm gonna think about this a little bit more than plugging the computer and seeing what comes out. So um, hopefully we'll get into it, and uh, it'll be fun. Kyle, let's go ahead and uh, and let you introduce yourself here a little bit. Now that we've got you on Frozen, that beautiful black and gold, black and yellow Hawkeyes hat, how are you today? You know, Gary, there's some irony in the fact that I was just saying we didn't have any audio or video issues right <laughs> as I was freezing up there. So that's a funny way to start the day. But uh, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm excited about the games. I think we have some pretty good games to talk about here this uh, this week. Yesterday's game's not quite as big as today's game, so uh, excited to get into it. You've got that right. When you initially look at the schedule, some of these games don't necessarily pop off the page at you, but when you start going through it and you really pay attention, there are very, very interesting matchups that will help determine the course of the season this weekend. So, of course, week two, a big, big week. Let's go ahead and dive into the recap right quick on what we did last week and what we have done thus far this season. Uh, overall, last week uh, I went three and two. Parker three and three. Kyle two and two. Not bad for a first week without having actually seen the teams. Uh, but overall, five and two is where I sit against the number. Kyle three and two against the number, and Parker six and three against the number. That puts us at fourteen and seven. That is nearly a sixty-seven percent win rate against the number. Not too bad for the first couple of weeks of the season, including week zero. There, of course. Uh, want to go ahead and remind everybody the show is live every Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live, but you can also follow us on Twitter. I gave those out, but they're also in the description. Uh, and we will let you know when we are going live Tuesdays, Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Eastern time right here. If for whatever reason you cannot watch the show live, which we highly recommend. It is much better in a live format. Uh, you can also listen to the audio version. The podcast is available. It is the BetUS football show, and that is the NFL feed and the college football feed in audio form for your listening pleasure. So get it at Apple, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is, and leave a nice five-star review for us if you would so kindly. While you're here, I see a lot of people watching already. Go ahead and like the video for us if you would, please, and again, Subscribe to the channel. That's the biggest thing. Jump in the chat. We do a Q&A at the end of every show. Gentlemen, it is time. We are ready to rock and roll. Let's go to game number one here. And this is a CBS game. You have Pac-12 against Mountain West, Colorado at Air Force. And the Falcons are an 18-point favorite at home with a total of 49.5. And, 
And yes, those do seem a little weird, but this is at Falcon Stadium uh, in USAF Academy, Colorado. That's right. They have their own city for the Air Force Academy there. It's a 3.30 p.m. Central Time game on CBS. Here are the numbers. Here's the trends. Colorado 4-0 and against the spread straight up. Uh, excuse me, 4-0 and against the spread after a straight up loss uh, in their last four in this spot. 5-1-1 one, and one against the number. Their last seven against Mountain West competition. Air Force. 5-0 and against the number the last five times they have played against a losing team. They are 6-1 and against the spread their last seven coming off of a straight-up win, and they did, in fact, win last week. Colorado, last week, got blasted by TCU. Uh, TCU. They could not stop the run. 30 carries for 9.2 yards per rush uh, for TCU in that game. I mean, the Colorado defense was just awful. The offense was also blah. Uh, JT Shrout did give them... Uh, a little bit of life, I, I guess you could say. 13 out of 23 for 157 yards and a touchdown, but they're still not efficient. This is not a good football team. Air Force, on the other hand, some more stats here. 25-9 and nine against the spread their last 34 non-conference games. 7-3 and three against the spread their last 10 as a double-digit home favorite. Uh, Air Force, I mean, ran for nearly 600 yards last week against a very outmanned Northern Iowa team. But this is a Northern Iowa defense that typically holds up pretty well, especially for FCS standards. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to start with you, Parker. Um, there's, you know, 40 to 50% chance of rain here. Uh, these teams last met in 2019. Air Force won that one 30 to 23 as a three-point road dog. But this Colorado team has gotten worse since then. Uh, this is, I mean, this is really a mismatch. It sure seems like uh, Troy Calhoun against Carl Durrell here. Uh, Colorado got whipped by TCU, and they never even turned the football over. This was not anything crazy. This was TCU just destroyed them, and I would expect the same from Air Force here. What, what do you got on this one? Yeah, so the, the key there as well, you read some of those rushing stats. Uh, for, for me, it was the split between the first half and the second half. TCU's offense was really not looking good. Quarterback was not making the right throws. Some linemen were running into each other in the first half against Colorado. And in the second half, uh, so so in the first half, 13 passes, five rushes for TCU. They average six yards a rush. That's really inflated by one long rush. In the second half, 23 rushes, 10 passes. They averaged 8.29 yards per rush. Colorado cannot stop, stop the run. They, they just absolutely cannot. Um, their, their defense last season was 120th in EPA pass, 122nd in EPA per rush. Um, the, the word I would use here is, is, is feckless. It's, it's really hard to see what they're trying to do on either side of the ball. Um, and they don't have the athletes to do it. A lot of times in a P5, G5 matchup, in a P5 service academy matchup, you're going to start talking about team talent and athletic differential. Colorado has not taken a blue chip recruit in three cycles. The, the talent is not there on this roster. So even the, the kind of fallback advantage that you would see, Colorado doesn't have it. Air Force, very selective in how they pass, 130th in rush rate over expectation. But when they pass, is extremely efficient, um, seventh in explosiveness. And in the run game, 35th in, in, in rushing uh, success rate, 43% of their rushes are successes, and still 16%, or excuse me, 16th in EPA per rush. Looking um, looking last week, the, the, the question for me as well was when Colorado had Brendan Lewis in the game, they were able to move the ball a little bit through his mobility. And I think an underrated uh, unit in college football is Air Force's defense versus mobile quarterbacks. You look at what they did last year. Uh, FAU, um, they, they held Nikosi Perry to two rushes and 21 yards against Utah State. Only one yard on, on se- uh, only one scramble for, for 17 yards. Just one big run. Didn't get a lot there. Uh, against Army, they held uh, Army quarterbacks to 
1.2 yards per attempt in the run game. Um, and I, I think that Colorado's only way to move this or move the ball rather is to kind of mobilize that quarterback. That's part of the reason they went back to shroud is they couldn't get those downfield routes developing and needed some mobility in the pocket. Um, e either way, I think this air force defense with that three, um, four, four has another body in, in there that can track this mobile quarterback. So, um, all signs here kind of point to air force winning this solidly in terms of this getting out of hand, which, which a 17 or 18 point spread here would be out of hand. Um, the, the, the big deal for me is air force's explosiveness on offense. Ha Hazik Daniel, last season 97.6 grade on 20 plus yards downfield uh 50 completion he's they're, they're gonna throw it up every now and then and they're gonna come down with with more than a coin flip coin flip of them that's dangerous against a pass defense that is going to be so occupied with filling in for the run fits for the run seven i could see air force's receivers getting behind colorado early and often Whew. uh we did have somebody jump in the chat p matt said parker uh more inept than feckless perhaps uh I don't Tino know that there's. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that there's enough words that you can use to explain exactly what we saw in week one. Uh, Kyle, let's move over to you on this. You know, it, not only does Colorado not have a talent advantage here when maybe you should as a uh, quote unquote P5 team against a Mountain West team uh, or against an academy for that matter, but you also have Air Force coming in with the number 19 returning production in the country. Uh, this just looks like a mismatch here. What do you see on it? Uh, Parker spit some amazing facts there about this one. I love his breakdown. And anytime you can get feckless into your breakdown, you've done a good job. So uh, inept works as well. I think both are fine words to use here. Uh, Air Force, like you mentioned, 582 rushing yards. And actually, Northern Iowa has been a pretty good defense the last few seasons. So that's not, you know, really bad FCS team. 10.2 uh, yards per play. TCU spotted Colorado half. I mean, that was just a terrible first half from TCU. I mean, that was watching the first half of that game was painful. And then in the second half, uh, TCU just blew them away by running all over them. Uh, I think this Colorado team is just dreadful, like really, really bad. Which team had the lowest run defense grade, according to PFF, out of 131 teams last week? It was Colorado. So, they ain't stopping Air Force in this game. We know that's coming because Air Force is going to be able to run all over them. So the next question is, how many is Colorado going to score here? Colorado's quarterback play, I think, is one of the worst you'll ever see for a Power 5 school. Uh, you know, just very weak. Uh, veteran Air Force defense that I think would limit the running game of Colorado. I think they'll have to try to throw. Uh, I don't think that'll go very well. And honestly, I think sometimes as a better and as handicappers, it's easy to complicate a game. You know, it's easy. I do this myself. You know, you, you sit there and you look at so many numbers that you can almost overanalyze it. I want to keep this handicap simple. Air Force has a better coach, a great run game, which won't be stopped here. And I, I just can't imagine uh, a Colorado team that I think is pure fade material hanging in this one. So, you know, of course, there could be some late backdoor touchdown that burns us. This is betting. Uh, but minus 18, I'm going to take Air Force here. We've seen the total get bet up. I don't think uh, Colorado is going to score very many points. So uh, I think Air Force is going to do the scoring in this one. So I'll lay the points here with Air Force. I like it. Let's go ahead and make it official. Uh, both of the experts like Air Force in this one, Parker and Kyle, both taking the Falcons minus 18. That is going to move us over to, I think, something that's going to provide a little life for us to discuss Iowa State 
heads to Iowa City to take on the Hawkeyes, and Iowa is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, the latest line over at BetUS. The total sits at 40-and-a-half, the Cyhawk Trophy, gentlemen. Uh, this one in Kinnick Stadium. Iowa won this one last year, 27-17, to 17, and I have some interesting stats for you guys on this, by the way. Uh, Iowa 6-0 straight up the last six meetings between the two. They are 4-1-1 against the spread against Iowa State. Matt Campbell has never won a game against Iowa at this point. Uh, Iowa 2-4 and four against the spread as a home favorite against everyone else in their last six. Iowa State is 4-6 and six against the spread on the road in their last ten. Now, those have nothing to do with this meeting, but gentlemen, uh, if you're betting on Iowa State in this game, you're hoping, you're you're betting, really, that they will not turn the football over, basically. Because that seems to be the only way that Iowa can score points. In the last five meetings between these two teams, Iowa has zero turnovers. Iowa State has nine in those meetings. And on top of that, Iowa has 33 points off of turnovers against Iowa State. Of course, if Iowa doesn't turn the football over, Iowa State can't generate points off of those. It has been a mismatch for whatever reason. Uh, this one, of course, at 4 p.m. Eastern time on the Big Ten Network. Kyle, I want to start with you on this. Uh, was it just Brock Purdy? Do we think that Hunter Decker's coming in will provide something different? Uh, you know, he did hit Xavier Hutchinson for three touchdowns last week in an FCS game. But, I mean, there are still questions here. Last week was the ultimate Kirk Ferentz game. You had one field goal, two safeties, 10 punts against South Dakota State. Uh, the average field position for them was their own 38, and they still could not generate more than 160-something yards of offense and only one offensive score. It was a beautiful masterpiece for the Ferentz family there. Uh, Kyle, give me, give me some thoughts on this. What do we have for the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones? Uh, first, I'll say I think the total here is fair. You know, who would want to bet the over in a game like this? Uh, you know, they set the total low enough that I can't bet the under, but I certainly want to wouldn't want to bet the over in this game. Um, Iowa was minus six and a half in the game of the year line, which I think is important here because that shows a three point line move based on one game. Now, is that fair? I, I think it's fair to say that Iowa looked bad enough that you would have to adjust it a decent amount. My problem is. I was heard about how bad they are all week. Everybody's poured all over the fact that the Hawkeyes couldn't do anything right. Uh, I think situationally, this becomes a better spot for Iowa based on how poorly they played in week one. Now, uh, they've won six times in a row, like you said. Their 7-3 to three win over uh, South Dakota State was about as bad as you could get. Uh, they've won in these games, like Gary said, with turnovers. Uh, they've been in the box score beaten many times and yet they win the game. Uh, I think Iowa, it's certainly fair to say Iowa's defense is the best unit on the field here by a lot. Nobody else even close. Uh, so the question is, you know, Spencer Petras, uh, I don't trust him at all. I always think somebody's got to be better than Spencer Petras for Iowa, but, you know, they haven't really shown anybody better than him. Uh, so, you know, I think that the poor performance last week would make me think that I'm going to lean toward Iowa here. I think that there's after the game, we're going to say, how did Iowa win this game? You know, the box score looks really ugly. They do it the Iowa Hawkeye way. I'm not going to bet Iowa minus three and a half. If it comes down to three, I might bet Iowa small here. I, I think Iowa just finds ways to, you know, pull off that Hawkeye magic. And it happens time and time again to the point where you almost have to predict that it's going to happen at least some of the time. And Matt Campbell has less talent to work with than he has in the past few seasons. So 
I'm not going to count on Iowa State in this one. And that is totally fair. I, I will tell you, you said you're not going to bet on Iowa at three and a half, but seven to three does cover that. So just throwing <laughs> yeah. it out there. Good <laughs> Parker, And Parker, let's move over to you on this one. Uh, you know, I, I keep looking at this and, you know, between transfer, injury, graduation, all all the different ways that somebody can leave your program, and injury as well, we can add that. Iowa is down eight wide receivers from last year. Uh, Keegan Johnson out this week. Uh, definitely, you know, not what you want going into a rivalry game like this. Uh, was it just, you know, first game jitters? Was it the fact that South Dakota State is actually a really good FCS team with a really good defense? Or is it maybe the fact that Iowa just does not have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, and with Brian Ferentz as the OC, maybe this is a trend that we are going to see for the rest of the season. What, what have you got on this? I, I swear that I have seen Spencer Petrus line up and throw a ball. There's a clip from a camp, and he threw it, and it went in the air, and the receiver caught it, and I know that's possible. Um, I, I really think that he struggles 50% adjusted completion percentage on an A dot of uh, 5.7, sorry, uh, yeah, 7.9. So fewer than eight yards uh, is the average target on the pass and a 50% adjusted completion percentage. Um, not, not great there. I think that my numbers have Iowa State covering this but losing, right? But I think I have to do some game theory to think about this game. One, Iowa State, um, extremely volatile in special teams historically under Matt Campbell, don't have a special teams coach. That seems very odd to me that they've been so plagued with it and haven't really remedied it so far. So you would expect in in, in that kind of a matchup, that's a favor Iowa. Over the last um, 13 games or so, Iowa State, negative 2.17 net field position. That's 92nd in the nation, Iowa. Positive 9.18 field position. That's second in the nation. Absolutely absurd. Um, and so, again, I, again, at the margin, I think if the talent levels are about equal, there's not a superstar on the other side, um, I, Iowa's going to play that field position game. I, I really am worried about Iowa State's consistency. If you look at their um, – if you look at how their offense ran last year – uh, Brock Purdy, you know, a little bit volatile, would make some mistakes, but also they had this amazing third down bailout in Charlie Kolar, right? Charlie Kolar get open is a better play than maybe 115 FBS teams had last year at any point in time. And he's gone, so they don't have that kind of automatic tight end bailout um, where you have an experienced guy who can get the ball. So I'm worried about consistency. I'm worried about them extending um, drives, uh, especially because I was so good on third downs. The, the, the game theory aspect of this comes into how do you think about the Iowa football program when you try and bet them, right? And you have to realize that Kirk Ferenz is not playing to your standards, right? He does not care about margin of victory. He does not care about what the internet says. I guarantee he probably hasn't even been on Twitter. Um, and, and, and so I really think that his goal is win every game, uh, do as little as possible, minimize variance and reap the rewards to, to an absurd degree. And so I, I do think that they play really, really consistently. Last week, I think you might argue that they just didn't care to do anything on offense. Like it very much could be the case that they knew they were going to win against an FCS opponent. They don't care about the reps. They don't care about the perception. They care about Iowa State seeing what they're going to do on offense. And so maybe there's some advantage from that there. Petrus looked really, really bad. So it's kind of hard to support that theory. But it wouldn't surprise me if given what you know Kyle said about the um, – the kind of chip on the shoulder, given how friends responds, given how I was, Iowa always has one of these terrible games and the inexperience on Iowa State side of the ball. The fact they don't have this automatic get out of third down free card in Charlie Kolar. 
Um, I, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on a new quarterback to come in and, and to win this game. So I'm staying away because I, I don't project special teams. Um, I don't project these these crazy turnovers, and this game seems to be full of it. And I have this as as, as close to a 50-50 shot here. So um, definitely one to watch, but I, I think we'll learn about both teams for, for going forward, even if I don't have a play here. I am going to take Iowa State. That's right. I'm going against the – I'm bucking all the trends. But I'm going to ride with the Cyclones because I think what we saw last week is exactly what we heard all through training camp – all through the spring, etc., there is no talent left on that Iowa offense. Uh, it's I don't think that this is just some kind of mirage that they're hiding stuff, whatever. And I may I may look like a fool come Saturday evening because we I've done this before. But I also bet on Iowa a couple of years ago when they only won by one point in the same spot. Everybody thought Iowa State was going to win. I think it was like 2019, and I got so irritated about it. But in this spot, I am going to bet on Iowa State, especially getting the hook right there little over field goal. I don't trust Iowa to be able to move the football, even against a lesser talented, uh, lesser experienced version of Iowa State. I think the culture at Iowa State is really, really good. And this seems like the year. It's just a feeling that I've got that he is going to get that monkey off of his back. Cheers to Matt Campbell. I'm going with plus three and a half on the Cyclone. So let's make that one official. I am going to ride with it. And I, I might die with it, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's move over to the SEC. And yay, do we get to talk about Anthony Richardson. I'm so excited. Kentucky takes on Florida in the swamp. The Gators, a five-and-a-half-point spread. Latest line over at BetUS. The total sits at 52-and-a-half here. Ben Hill Griffin Stadium was not kind to Utah last week. I don't know why they would be kind to Kentucky this week. Uh, looking at the numbers here. Kentucky 20 to 13 last year, but the postgame win expectancy was basically nil because uh, Florida should have won that ball game. <laughs> I mean, the turnovers, all the craziness that happened in that one. Kentucky is 4 0 and 1 against the spread in their last five meetings against Florida. Florida 1 and 4 against the spread in their last five at home, but of course, they did cover last week, and that's what matters. At all of these trends that have to do with Florida, you can just throw them out the window. Uh, because this is a different team, different coach, et cetera. But when it comes to Kentucky, that's a different situation. 21-7-2 against the spread against a winning team that is uh, that that seems large. Seems large. The Kentucky running back room going through it right now. Rodriguez is suspended. Uh, Jefferson is injured. Uh, they only averaged 1.9 yards per rush on 26 carries against Miami of Ohio. They're kind of leaning on the quarterback here, Levis. Uh, he went uh, 2 of 8 on third downs last week with only an average of 4.9 yards to go. That doesn't seem uh, great heading into the swamp. As far as Florida goes, Anthony Richardson, awesome. Legit in this offense. We talked about the fact that this offense is tailor-made for somebody with his capabilities. The question is going to be for Florida on defense. Can they stop the pass? They allowed Cam Rising a 50% success rate on pass plays. They only generated 7% havoc. Uh, there's a 60% chance of scattered thunderstorms again. Parker, let's start with you on this one. Uh, the playmaker for Kentucky seems to be Tavion Robinson, the transfer that came in. Can he and Levis generate enough explosiveness to maybe counteract what Florida is doing? I'm uh, I'm really curious on the Gators and the Wildcats from your perspective. Yeah, I definitely feel worse about this game for Kentucky with having to rely on Levis. I think Levis really uh, shined when there was so much attention on Chris Rodriguez, who's, um, for, for all his off-field issues, is a, um, uh, a really good running back who really – 
to, ex, excels at breakaway running. And so he can, you know, get, get past that contact and, and, and rack up yards there. Um, that kind of combination of um, Wandale Robinson and Chris Rodriguez last year is really, really fruitful because it did really play off the other strengths. And as soon as the defense tried to stop Robinson, you could find Wandale deep. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Levis as kind of the main player. Um, I, you know, I, again, his 2019 and 2020, he didn't throw a ton of passes, but below a 70 uh, PFF grade um, there, and then just blows up in 2021 with the transfer and everything. I think that this is going to be, um, there, there, there's a lot of schematic uh, con, con, uh, changes that really helped him last year. And now that it's on film, now that Kentucky's going to try and do the same thing with a different offensive coordinator, I'm a little bit worried about their ability to sustain uh, success there. The big issue I'm looking for is, is Florida's run defense. We know it was so bad last year, 86th in EPA per play. Um, but last week they were able to frustrate Utah. Um, and uh, I, I think that they, they showed that they have the physicality to execute the, the scheme. So I'm a little bit more optimistic that Kentucky's run defense won't be able to float their offense. Um, Kentucky was 50.34% uh, on third and fourth down last season. That's ninth in non-garbage time. Whereas Florida, Florida's defense was 24th for all their rushing issues. They still did really well on third downs. So I think that some improvement from that rushing defense on Florida should should stifle Kentucky's ability to um, extend drives and then generate opportunities for those big breakaway plays, which really limits what Kentucky's ceiling overall. Um, in terms of Anthony Richardson, I think I said this last week, I'm really high on Billy Napier's uh, ability to tailor an offense to a quarterback. We've seen what he was able to do with Levi Lewis, shortening the average depth of target, uh, spreading the ball around in the field. Florida has the playmakers. They have the, um, uh, they, they have the athletes and they're at home. I, I do worry a little bit about a letdown situation here, right? Big emotional win last week. You went on the last thing you get to say, um, we're back in all these, all these things. And, uh, uh, I'm a little bit worried about the emotional letdown here, but I think overall um, Florida's run defense being significantly better than last year should be the difference maker in this game. I, I tend to agree with you. I do lean Florida here, but I'm just like you. You kind of stole my thunder on that one a little bit with, you know, the letdown aspect. This is the first time in a little while that everybody's been super excited and everybody's talking about Anthony Richardson. You know, what is it going to be like when they face adversity the next time after winning such a huge game? Will they be able to come back from it, right? We we saw it in the first game, but can you replicate it? Can you do it again? So I'm curious about the culture that's being built for Billy Napier. Uh, Kyle, let's move over to you on this. You know, the, the Kentucky offense, they got to find ways to get in third and short. they got to find ways to, to be successful on the ground, even with – what doesn't appear to be a great offensive line right now. They're still developing this thing. Uh, but Mark Stoops has proven time and time again, uh, you know, even though this game's 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN, a prime time spot in the swamp, uh, he's shown that his boys can go out and win a game like this. What are your thoughts? I mean, uh, Parker said it uh, before either one of us are going to. Situationally, this is a bad spot for Florida. Um, you know, I, I – talk to others in the handicapping betting community. And I know a guy who just doesn't look at stats hardly at all. He just handicaps situationally. I guarantee you, if I ask him about this one, he would say, take Kentucky. This is a terrible spot for Florida. Now, I don't like to handicap only one way. I like to look at it from multiple uh, standpoints. I have to say, I think um, 
Will Levis has got to be the most, I've seen the most mixed opinions on him of any quarterback I've seen in a long time. You know, you hear some people that swear that Levis is going to be this really good NFL quarterback, and you hear some people that think uh, Levis sucks as a college quarterback. So it's amazing the spread of uh, opinions on Levis. So Gary might have to give his opinion here in a minute. But uh, (laughs) Kentucky, I, I... I'm concerned that they could only run for 1.92 yards per carry against uh, Miami of Ohio because Miami of Ohio really they lost a lot from their defense last year. They should have been able to run for more than that, even without those two running backs. Obviously, Rodriguez is the explosive game breaker, uh, but I'm still disappointed that Kentucky couldn't do any better than that. And really, Levis didn't play that well either. So um, Kentucky ran back a touchdown. Their offense really wasn't very good, even against Miami of Ohio. Florida, Anthony Richardson had an 83.1 PFF grade running the football last week, which is fantastic against Utah. Excellent start for him in this offense. Napier's a really good coach. Side note, too, I still think Utah's a really good team. So I'm hoping the market gets too low on Utah uh, because Utah had it right there. Cam Rising with a really poor decision there on second goal. He didn't need to make that throw. Uh, he did, and and they definitely paid a big price for that. But I, I think Utah's an excellent team, and the fact that Richardson looks so good against that defensive line says a lot. Uh, in this one, I think Florida's the much more talented team. Florida has lost to Kentucky so recently uh, and has played poorly against them that they ought to be up for this game. So I still lean toward Florida as well, like you guys. Most certainly. Yeah, we're all leaning that way, but no official pick on this one. Uh, I know some people are not happy with that, but we we all lean a certain way. But situationally, not a great spot. Going to stay away from it as far as official picks. Let me go ahead and remind you, we do have, let's see, five more games that we're going to hit. But... Don't forget about the podcast. If you are not able to watch live, you can always go get the audio version, the BetUS Football Show on Apple, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. Go ahead and subscribe over there. Jump into the Q&A. I see Big Trouble Jack. I see Kane Cards. I see Mark. I see Raphael. I see Heath. A lot of people. Jordan is in here. Throw in your questions for the Q&A. We will do that after we get done covering the games here. Also, if you've not already... Go ahead and like the video and subscribe to the channel. Hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live. That's every Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure that you are set to enjoy your lunch break with us. Uh, We have, eh, you know, quite a few more people watching than have liked the video. But we would like to get to 100 likes again today while we're doing this live so that we can celebrate. So go ahead and hit that like button for us. We would certainly appreciate it. And let's dive into the next game on the docket. We are headed to Stillwater, Oklahoma, T-Boone Pickens Stadium. Arizona State heads to Oklahoma State. And goodness gracious, the Cowboys are an 11-point favorite. Total of 58 over at Bet U, uh, Bet US, excuse me. And this one, of course, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, ESPN2. It's a primetime spot. Arizona State, 1-4 and four against the spread, their last five on the road, 6-1 and one against the spread as a 10-plus point road dog in their last seven in that spot. Oklahoma State, 2-5 and five against the spread in their last seven as a double-digit home favorite. They did not cover last week against Central Michigan. 16-5 and five against the spread in non-conference games in the last 21 there. Uh, gentlemen, Parker, I'm going to eh, – no, Kyle, I'm going to start with you on this. I think I did Parker on the last one. <laughs> uh Count out Herm Edwards at your own risk, right? That's how it looks to me because this Arizona State team still has talent. Their roster strength overall, number 56, and a lot of that has to do with transfers that came in. Emory Jones, 
eh, you know, here and there, but uh, maybe a change of scenery was good for him. And, and it certainly looked like in, in game one against Northern Arizona. But you've also got the Wyoming running back, Xavier Valade. You've got the Vandy wide receiver, Cam Johnson. Uh, you have got, you know, what looks like a pretty decent team, especially defensively. They've got some dudes on that defense. Uh, on the offense, you know, for Oklahoma State, uh, Spencer Sanders looked great. They were up 51-15 to 15 before they called off the dogs against Central Michigan. Sanders had four passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns. I, I really wonder about this one. Uh, Central Michigan was able to have a lot of success offensively, especially late in the game. They had 14 drives. Six of them were touchdowns. One was a turnover, one was the safety, and one missed field goal. So they, they had success, but, you know, I'm questioning. I'm questioning here. Kyle, give me your thoughts on, on this one. I mean, I have quite a few thoughts on this game, not an official play. I think I might lean against uh, one of you on this one. But um, Herm Edwards is 11-4-1 against the spread as an underdog, so he's been good in this role. Gundy is 81-55 and against the spread as a favorite. Gundy's been an amazing moneymaker in the long term, no matter what. Uh, strength on strength, I think Gundy's the better coach than Herm Edwards, though. Uh, not too many would uh, question that. But, I, you know, about last week's game, there are a couple things about the Oklahoma State game that really stand out to me. First, I know Oklahoma State took their foot off the gas, but I had to look at this a little bit. They've allowed 24 plays of 10 yards or more. Uh, just a fantastically uh, surprising stat to me. I cannot <laughs> believe I'm trying to come up with the words. How did that offense? How did that offense for Central Michigan look so amazing against Oklahoma State? I know they took their foot off the gas. Even at that, that surprises me a lot. Still think this is a good defense for Oklahoma State. The total has been bet up like it's just free money to the over. Somebody is hammering this over. Um, really stands out to me, too. Uh, even with Oklahoma State way ahead and taking their foot off the gas, they snapped the ball at 19.22 seconds per play on average between plays. Uh, let's keep an eye on this. That is extremely fast, much faster than they played last year. So I don't know if you guys have heard anything specific about this, but it sure seems like Oklahoma State wants to play a lot quicker this year than they did last year. So the people who are just looking at pure tempo numbers are the ones that are betting this over the total. I can understand where they're coming from. I think Arizona State's more of an under team. Oklahoma State may be an over team based on the way they're playing right now. As far as uh, this game, Arizona State ran all over Northern Arizona last week. It was Xavier Valaday that did the heavy uh, load carrying. Oklahoma State actually only gave up 3.13 yards per carry last week. It was really Daniel Richardson that just torched their secondary. Uh, surprising, but I think the front seven for Oklahoma State will do a solid job slowing down Valaday here. Do I trust Emory Jones to throw it around? I don't know that I really do. I think this is one where Oklahoma State taking their foot off the gas made that game look a lot closer than what it was against Central Michigan. I don't trust Arizona State enough to to back them in this one. So I'm going to lean Oklahoma State here. I, I could understand where you're coming from with that. Yes, I do think that Gundy, after losing Jim Knowles, uh, decided, hey, we're going to have to lean on the offense this year. The best way for his offense to create is going quick. Right. And, and maybe that's better for Spencer Sanders so that he doesn't have to think about things. Right. Because he's run into problems before. Parker, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, you know, yeah, they allowed three point one yards per carry to Lou Nichols in that bunch. But at the same time, Central Michigan was able to have some success uh, with a mobile quarterback. And that's what they're running into with Arizona State this weekend. What do you think about this one? I, I'm curious, the Herm Edwards and Mike Gundy comparison between the two. 
I, I sound like a curmudgeon when I say this, but I'm going to say this again. Uh, garbage time doesn't matter. And yeah. so even if Central Michigan brought it back into garbage time, that does not affect my predictive metrics. The game was over. There's a clear, stark difference in how Oklahoma State treated that first half versus that second half. I think that Derek Mason may have left some guys out there and said, uh, show me that you deserve to be on the two deep right now. Um, and so there might have been a little a little stress test going. So we, we really have to think about, uh, as we're doing, but we just have to think about what we saw last week. I'm not going to take too much away from either of these openers for Oklahoma State or for um, – for Arizona State, the two numbers that I that I looked at that I'm thinking about, um, one, Spencer Sanders in that first game, his time to throw is almost two tenths of a second lower uh, than his uh, than his history has been. Um, it's it's two cent uh, 0.23 tenths of a second uh, lower than last year, but his average depth of target was longer. So exactly what you're saying there, Gary, I think there's more one read throws. Let's get up. Let's line up. Let's see. Uh, maybe some of that basketball on grass from Gundy of where's the open space. Just throw it to it. Don't think about it. And that's going to bode really, really well for them. The other number that, that I was looking at was, um, Emory Jones is passing um, and looking at his average depth of target. It was a little bit shorter than, uh, or excuse me, a little bit longer than Jaden Daniels from last year. That's my biggest concern. I think that he can rush in a similar way as Daniels did. Daniels last season, uh, 30% of all their rushing yards for, for Arizona State came from him. Of course, they're replacing Rashad White. That was almost 40% of the rushing yards between those two. It's, it's a big turnover, but they have some athletes there. Um, I think my bigger concern here is um, whether Arizona State's defense can um, stop uh, Oklahoma State from being so efficient in the pass game. 11th in passing success rate last season for Oklahoma State. Um, they were 31st, uh, excuse me, they were 58th in EPA per play. So they would um, pass high volume. They'd get those short downs. It's almost like those are run plays to get those little chunks of yardage. And they didn't go super explosive very often. So it'd be interesting to see um, if with that average depth of target, they'll try and test a little bit more here. Um, I don't have a strong lean because, I mean, again, tons of garbage time for Oklahoma State last se- last week. And Arizona State played an FCS team, which can, can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But as I'm watching this, I'm looking for, um, can Oklahoma State uh, find an explosive passing game, and can Arizona State uh, sustain that rushing ability that that that, that increased their floor for passing uh, so much last season? It, it seems that everybody is is kind of on Arizona State, or excuse me, on Oklahoma State a little bit right now. But I'm I'm going to go against the grain on this one. Uh, yes, I understand uh, all of the the numbers that we saw from Oklahoma State offensively last week, et cetera, but. I've seen Herm Edwards in this spot one too many times. This seems like a situational win for me. My number on this was eight and a half. The fact that it's at 11, I am going to officially ride with Arizona State here. I do like what Herm Edwards has as far as talent goes on this team. These two teams are not that far apart. Uh, Emory Jones is an experienced quarterback, but uh, maybe not as experienced as Spencer Sanders, of course. But yeah, I'm going to take Arizona State to cover the 11 here. This this seems like it should be a pretty close game, even on the road. Uh, count out Herm Edwards at your own risk. I will say that. So official play for me, Arizona State plus 11 here. That's going to move us over to the Pac-12. And gentlemen, we get to see Lincoln Riley in prime or in prime time, 7:30 p.m. Eastern time on ABC Saturday, September 10th. USC a nine-point favorite on the farm. At Stanford, the total sits at 67 and a half. 
Good old Palo Alto, California. Stanford won this game last year, 42-28. to It was one of only three games that they won on the season. And they got good old Clay Helton fired after this ballgame. Stanford is 5-3 and three straight up in their last eight against USC, 6-2 and two against the spread. USC 0-4 against the spread their last four times after, an, uh, after a spread win. 0-5 against the spread their last five against the Pac-12. And this will be Lincoln Riley's first conference game. Big time spot here. And the numbers don't bode well for prior USC coaches, et cetera. USC 11-27-2, their last 40 road games against winning home teams. Uh, Lincoln Riley's offense did roll rice last week. Defense had three touchdowns, so there was not a lot of opposition uh, coming from the opponent there. Uh, They allowed two 70-plus yard touchdown drives in the first half. That's what I was more interested in, to see exactly what Rice was doing on offense, et cetera. But again, early game against an opponent that you know that you can beat. Uh, Stanford did the same thing. They destroyed Colgate. Tanner McKee, 300-plus yards, two touchdowns. Uh, E.J. Smith had 11 carries for 108 yards. Uh, The lines of scrimmage looked pretty good for Stanford. This is a healthy Stanford team, which you didn't have for most of last year. USC number 11 in the talent composite over at 247. Stanford is number 23. Uh, Guys, I'm I'm real curious on this one. Parker, uh, when Stanford's healthy... Think that they're a pretty good team, and they are used to ruining USC seasons. Uh, give me some thoughts here. I agree. I think initially my lean here would be would be Stanford. Again, you, you expect some positive regression in the injury department for Stanford. They, um, they, they, they you know, David, David Shaw really has not had back to back bad seasons except for once, and there were some mitigating circumstances. I think that they have everything um, available to to be a lot more consistent on the. Um, especially the offensive side of the ball and a lot more competitive on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, looking at um, looking at USC and their offense last week, I actually was a little bit worried. Um, so I discount all three of those pick sixes, right, when I'm looking at point totals and everything. Obviously, that doesn't help with the offense. They also had uh, effectively a fourth pick six, a drive that started on the 34-yard line because of another interception. And so that short field drive also makes me a little bit worried. They scored, uh, you know, un- under 40 otherwise. And in the first half, they allowed like you said, a 74-yard touchdown drive on the scripted drive, which we, if it didn't happen again, we'd say, ah, maybe that's, you know, they had, uh, Rice had a good script coming out. But I'm actually a little bit more worried about Rice throwing an interception to go down 28-7 to and then marching 75 yards on the next drive. That is um, some confidence out of the Rice quarterback there and, you know, their ability to, 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 to not let it completely spiral. It spiraled in the second half, but is, if you can forestall that, I give you a little bit of credit. So I, I do think that the teams that Lincoln Riley has struggled against have been these kind of even, balanced, frustrating teams to play against. The defense looks like they're going to need some time maybe to um, – still to, to, to make it what they want. And so I think this is a really nice spot for Stanford. Um, they, they were so bad last year that my numbers are still lagging a little bit on, I, I think they'll make a bigger, bigger leap um, than, uh, than, than it looks. The reason I don't have a play on Stanford, which I think is the smarter side here is because there is some uncertainty early in the season. My numbers are slow a little bit to, to, to uh, estimate that big of a change from season to season, but also USC's offensive potential is so high and so lethal. Um, what, what they're capable of, they're, they're, they're capable of a game spiraling out of control, absolutely. They didn't do it against Rice because they really didn't have to, um, but you know they were 25th in quality possession rate last season um, and 25th in offensive success rate. They, they can move the ball, keep it going, and just fight to spam for that big uh, big play. So the the, the big play uh, opportunity there, along with with the uncertainty about Stanford, I, I don't I don't have a play here. I, I think that Stanford's probably the smarter side if I had to choose. 
Yeah, the line has moved from 10.5 down to 9, and the total has gone from 64 up to 67.5. Kyle, I'm curious, with with this total, is this just the Lincoln-Riley effect on it? Is everybody expecting there to just be a ton of points from USC all season? Or is there something else maybe that we're seeing from Stanford? Maybe they're uh, a little more competent than people expected. Yeah, I mean, both of these teams were, uh, they gave, they had 9.28 and 8.57 yards per play last week. So there were some really big plays, explosive plays from both teams. I know it was Rice and Colgate, but still, you know, that's a lot of yards per play for sure. Two really good quarterbacks. I think McKee can really sling it around very well. We know Williams is capable a lot as a dual threat guy. Uh, the thing that I'm concerned about for Stanford is we keep talking about uh, year after year, you hear people saying their defense is going to be better this year. They're going to be better against the run. They they haven't done it for a long time, guys. When they were good, they had a very good defensive line. Last year, they gave up 5.74 yards per carry, 5.78 in the Pac-12. Undersized, definitely undersized compared to most teams. Uh, the linebackers aren't very good. I, I just want to believe it when I see it for the Stanford defense. Um, I would agree with the line move to the over. Having said that, now you're getting to 67 and a half on the over, and Stanford wants to stall. Stanford doesn't want this to be a high-scoring game. So if Stanford's going to be close, uh, they're not going to push the pace like USC would. Uh, the thing that I will say that scares me from sta- taking Stanford, too, is I think there's a world of difference from uh, Clay Helton to Lincoln Riley. I think there's just a massive difference. Uh, I don't like to, you know, crap on coaches too too much, but I think Helton did a really poor job at USC, you know, will he do a good job somewhere else? Maybe uh, he lost that team at USC. So I, I don't think we can take too much of what USC has done against Stanford in recent seasons and extrapolate that to this year. So uh, as far as this one, I think if I had to bet a side, I would bet USC. Um, I don't have to bet a side, so I'm not going to in this one. <laughs> I would still lean to the over guys. Uh, you know, I think that both of these teams will have a lot of big plays on offense. Uh, USC's defense still has some question marks. I don't think their secondary is great. Uh, Smith should do a good job uh, in the backfield for Stanford. And I think Stanford can score points here, but I'm just not convinced Stanford can get too many stops. I tend to agree with you. If I had to choose a side, I would certainly lean USC here. This seems like a showcase spot, you know, Lincoln Riley coming into the Pac-12. Now, David Shaw would love to be able to stamp down that enthusiasm, but I, the talent just seems way, way, way much here. USC, I think, is going to be really excited to get that first conference win, get kind of the the ghosts off their back of those losses to Stanford. You know, again, they've lost five of the last eight in this spot. I, I would lean USC here for sure, but I still want another data point, so we will all pass on this one. No official play here. Let's go to a late-night game. And let's move over to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, Provo, Utah. This one, 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Baylor heads to BYU. And, man, the Cougs, a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Latest line over at BetUS. The total sits at 53. And that one has not moved a whole lot. Neither of these has moved a whole lot. Baylor, 38-24 last season. And six and one against the spread on the road against winning teams. That is pretty good for Dave Aranda's bunch. B 
BYU 5 and 1 against the spread their last 6 against the Big 12. They are 8 and 1 against the spread against a road team with a winning record. So, yes, it's early in the season, but Baylor did win last week, so I think it still falls into the trend. BYU had zero issues running the football last week against USF, but this is a different beast here. This is just uh, what Baylor brings on that defensive line is something serious. The offense scored touchdowns on four of their first five drives, kicked a field goal on the sixth against USF, and they also had a pick six, so the defense decided to show out a little bit as well. Baylor fans, uh, <laughs> you know, Parker, I know that you saw this. They acted like they won the Super Bowl when Blake Shapin had a 47-yard touchdown pass early, uh, the 38-yard touchdown pass as well. They have a deep passing game now. It's different, but again, that was against Albany. Uh, four players for them had 40-plus yards rushing. This is a battle of returning production, guys. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to start with you here. BYU, number three in returning production. Baylor, number 122 in returning production. Now, exactly how much does all of that mean? This Aranda versus Satake matchup is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Uh, Kyle, give me give me some thoughts here. I mean, Baylor went 10-4 and four against the spread last year. A team goes 10-4 and four against the spread. I think it's hard to find value betting on them the next year because everybody thinks about how amazing they were last year and wants to bet on them again. Uh, the thing that kind of stands out to me about this one, Baylor, 77% of the bets are on them, and yet the line has gone a little bit toward BYU. So somebody sharp, quote unquote, uh, is betting BYU in this game. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a difficult side to bet. BYU is a fantastic uh, home field advantage, especially late at night. I assume there'll be some sort of whiteout or something like that for this game. Uh, BYU, definitely one of the tougher places to play at elevation, night game. I, I think this is a tough spot for Baylor. Having said that, Baylor's defensive line is excellent. Um, I think their secondary is down from a year ago. So that's what we find out here. Can um, Hall and Romney and those guys take advantage of that secondary? I think this total might be a little bit too low. So I'm going to lean to the over in this game, thinking that both teams, I mean, they had success on offense last year. I think they can have success on offense again in this one. I love uh, Aranda and the coaching staff for Baylor. I think they're a really good coaching staff. Also, Sataki's done a great job with BYU. So like Gary said, this is a fantastic coaching matchup. Uh, one that, as a fan, I'm, I'm pumped to watch. Uh, I would lean toward the over here if I had to make a bet, thinking that both of these offenses will have a game script that's good enough, a game plan that'll be good enough to uh, have some success against the opposing defense. I know BYU brought back everybody they had last year from defense, but they weren't really very good. Uh, you know, we saw, remember Virginia just lighting them up in that game. Uh, and then Armstrong got hurt in the fourth quarter. They might have won that game. Uh, I, I think Baylor can score. I think BYU can score. So even though these teams play pretty slowly, I kind of like the over in this one. I, I could roll with that. I like that. I, I got to tell you, you know, Parker, we're going to move over to you here. I thought that maybe I could get Baylor as a favorite here because we haven't seen anything from them really this season. And that, that way I'd be able to bet on Baylor, or excuse me, on uh, on BYU. But with BYU a three-and-a-half-point favorite, you know, I'm going to stay away from it. BYU is still the side that I would lean, especially late night in Provo. But this just looks like a really fun matchup and, and our first real data point for both of these teams after playing, you know, terrible competition the first week. Uh, give me some thoughts here. So... I'll tell you very simply why I'm not touching this. Um, last week against USF, uh, BYU gave up a kick return for a touchdown and then another kick return and then a penalty that set up a 43-yard touchdown drive. That was 14 of USF's 21 points. 
Baylor won games last season by not making mistakes at the margin by exploiting special teams. Um, and so I'm I'm not touching this because it looks like BYU might be a little a little iffy on special teams this year. So that that's kind of the the official reason why I don't have a play. Um, looking at this game though, I'm fascinated by this matchup because uh, BYU returns a ton from a very good offense and a very bad defense. Baylor loses a ton from a very bad offense and a very good defense. So the 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 uh, we'll learn a lot about coaching I think this year in terms of the talent. I think Baylor's on the right track, but obviously college football development. Um, doesn't mean that you just plug and play when you lose your star receiver and your star running back who are responsible for like 75% of team touches. You don't often just replace those guys, right? It takes a little bit of time. So I think we'll see some friction on Baylor's offense. Um, I, I will say that, I mean, they, they really did um, Baylor last year, especially played a very weak schedule going up into this game. Um, they, they, the way that Baylor schedules often is that they play very, very bad teams early in the season and they roll over them and then um, get hyped about their offense, and then they play a real team, and, and we don't know what's happening with the offense. So I'm not suggesting that's happening here. I'm saying the way Baylor designs their, off uh, their schedule through the athletic department, this BYU game is a little bit of an anomaly. So that's interesting as well. I don't know that Baylor, uh, especially under Dave Veranda, has been tested so early in the season. Um, big deal for me is that BYU's defense was especially bad against the rush, especially bad in third and fourth down uh, six, uh, success situations. 106 last year, 47.8% uh, third down rates and 107th in, in EPA rush. So um, uh, BYU is going to have to stop the rush. They're going to have to force Blake Shapin to make multiple reads and process. On the flip side, I do like Baylor's um, defensive line. I will say the, the 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 big deal there for getting transfer Jackson player from Tulsa is not necessarily that Baylor has these two guys who are going to play on the field as the same person uh, or at the same time, rather, but that, in fact, Baylor is going to have a high quality nose tackle for four downs. Right. And so yeah. in pass rush situations, player last year, a lot went inside, played that tackle. He can spell uh, he, he can he can spell Ika there. And so I really think that they. Um, the depth there is going to be really, really beneficial. The secondary is in a really bad spot. So um, I expect this to get pointsy. I, I like thinking about an over here just because Baylor's going to air it out. And uh, BYU is, is really, really good on, on defense or on offense against a, a defense that'll have some new guys at the very least. So that in itself is, is interesting to me. But the special teams volatility from BYU last week and how Baylor has performed under Dave Aranda, how they're choosing to try and win games, that seems like a recipe for, for a disaster there. So I'm not going to bet on this one. And so are we talking another Pac-12 after dark kind of game here? Is that is that what we're looking at? Uh, BYU games at night, like they can be pretty crazy, right? <laughs> All right, it's a uh, so fan no, base, man, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be nuts. I, I'm excited about. We got three really good late night games this week, uh, so I'm excited. So no official play on this one, but that's okay. That's okay because we. I, I lean BYU. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll say I don't like the line there, but regardless, uh, reminder, like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell. I, I see that we are getting close to those 100 likes. Go ahead and put us over the top. If you hadn't hit that thumbs up button, go ahead and knock it out for us. That helps us out tremendously. So we would certainly appreciate that. Jump in the Q&A, uh, jump in the chat for the Q&A at the end of the show. Toss in whatever questions you would like. Uh, we will have those things curated and and we'll go through quite a few of them if we have plenty of time. Hopefully we do. Uh, don't forget, next week, Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, make sure you are subscribed, hit the notification bell, all that good stuff. Gentlemen, let's move into another late-night game. We've got two more games to hit. This one's 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS Sports Network. Oregon State, 
the Beavers, a one-point favorite on the road at Fresno State. The total over at BetUS sits at 59.5. This is at Bulldog Stadium in Fresno. Oregon State 4-1 and one against the spread, their last five against the Mountain West, and they put a beating on Boise State last week. They are 0-4 against the spread, their last four road games, though. Oregon State a lot better in Corvallis than they are when they leave the comfy confines. Fresno State 6-0 against the spread against the Pac-12 in their last six matchups. They did get a win over UCLA last year, and they covered on the road at Oregon last year. So uh, they are 1-5 against the spread in their last six at home. Those numbers tend to get inflated for Fresno State. And now, of course, you have Jeff Tedford back in the fold here. Oregon State, uh, the quarterback, Chance Nolan, they, they smoked Boise especially early, but the overall numbers were not great there. Uh, they took advantage. They capitalized on early turnovers. Uh, but you look at the total EPA, and Parker, I know when you looked at this one, you had to say, whoa, like negative 15, whatever, total EPA for Oregon State in a big win. Uh, that's impressive that they were able to get a win like that, even with as poorly as it looked. Uh, Fresno and Jake Hayner went up 21 to nothing against Cal Poly and then sat on it for a 35-7 to win. So I almost take nothing away from that one either. Uh, the Fresno defense, I think, is underrated. Uh, the transfer wide receiver, uh, Remigio from Cal, looks to be a stud. He was their leading receiver last week. It, these are two very experienced teams with similar rosters. Uh, and if we want to go way far back, Tedford was 3-8 and eight straight up against Oregon State when he was the coach at Cal. Not sure that makes any difference in this game. But, Parker, I'm going to start with you on this. Um, Fresno has USC next week. I don't know if that adds anything to this, but... I'm still needing data points on these two teams. What uh, what have you got? Yeah, um, there were eight turnovers in this game last week. It's <laughs> <That was> just <laughs> like absurd, uh, absurd game and, and, and some quarterbacks switching around. I mean, um, Oregon State certainly didn't look as spicy or fun on defense, excuse me, on offense as they did uh, last season, whether that's nerves, jitters, first game, working some stuff out in camp. But I mean, they had multiple drives where they moved the ball a little bit and then fumbled. Um, uh, and, and But I mean, capitalized on, you know, 10, 10 to 14 free points from uh, just just uh, absolute giveaways by um, Boise State there. So they, they capitalized on a really volatile team. But, you know, after I mean, they were up 17 to nothing, um, I believe. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, that, kind of an even game after that, maybe a little bit more fairly matched. Some negative variants went uh, in, in their favor. So I'm a little bit worried about their consistency on offense. That volatility on the end of the drives there makes me think that maybe there's some um, maybe they're trying to take the next step with Chance Nolan uh, at quarterback for Oregon State and the volatility there. It ma- makes makes me a little bit nervous against Fresno, who historically has been pretty good defensively. 15th in defensive EPA per play last season, 19th against the rush and 22nd against the pass. One thing I really like about Fresno State, uh, 25th in um, echo rate and quality possession rate allowed. Uh, but Oregon State was uh, is 54th right now, so really not not a lot of quality opportunities. And the fact that Oregon State kind of didn't do a lot with those opportunities last week makes me very nervous about their ability to kind of sustainably do that against Fresno State in this game. I don't think Oregon State has a massive talent advantage here, Kyle. I'm going to toss this over to you. Uh, the line has shifted. I mean, Fresno opened as a one point favorite, and now of course it's shifted over to where Oregon State is a one point favorite on the road. There, uh, the total. You know, started at 60 and a half. I kind of thought this thing would go up between the two coaches, Jonathan Smith and Jeff Tedford. Uh, we've got, you know, pretty good quarterbacks, et cetera. You, you think that this is an offensive-minded game, but that total has gone down a full point from 60 and a half down to 59 and a half. 
I thought it would go the other way. What uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this total has been bad all over the place. It went up, down, up. It's It's been back and forth quite a bit. I think um, having watched that game last week, I think Oregon State did kind of sit on their lead. Uh, Boise just fell apart so much at the beginning of that game. Bachmeyer was as bad as you'll see a Power 5 quarterback look. And Oregon State got really vanilla later in the game. I think Lindgren is a good offensive coordinator. I would assume they'll have a good uh, plan up for this game. And, and on the other side, Oregon State was number 82 defense in EPA per pass last year. So uh, I think their secondary is a weakness. Uh, Bachmeyer, Boise State couldn't take advantage. Even though Taylor Green is a, a good runner, he's not really a passer. He made some mistakes throwing the ball as well. I think Jake Kaner can take advantage of that secondary in a way that Boise State wasn't able to. And uh, side note, I know it was just Cal Poly, but Hainer was 36 for 42 for 377 yards. And I want Parker to double check this one because uh, I saw Hainer's A dot was 3.9 in that game. 3.9. I, I actually thought <laughs> I was just reading that wrong when I looked through it. I mean, what on earth? Uh, they'll push it downfield more here in this game. They must have been playing it really safe there. Who can defend Jalen Cropper here for Oregon State? I don't think anybody can. Cropper is really good. And um, on the other side, you know, Oregon State was top 10 in the country in yards per play on offense last year. They're kind of sneaky, good offensive team. They don't play really fast, but they're usually efficient. A really good offensive line for Oregon State. And the, the weakness for Fresno State is, is definitely their defensive line. I think Oregon State can take advantage of that mismatch. So I see two efficient offenses here. Hayner, he may have been dumping it off constantly last week. I think they take some chances here. And honestly, you know, if you're a coaching staff, why would you show a lot of those deep shots against Cal Poly when you can do it here this week? They didn't need it last week. I think both of these offenses have some success here, so I'm going to take the over. I like it. Let's go ahead and make it official. Kyle is going to roll with the over 59 and a half, and I like the reasoning. I like the reasoning on this one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun late-night game out, of course, in the Valley. So let's move on. We've got one more game that we are going to discuss before we get into the Q&A. Mississippi State heads to Tucson, Arizona to take on Arizona and the Wildcats with a big upset win last week. The Wildcats are an 11-point underdog at home. Latest line over at BetUS. The total sits at 59.5. And And this is at Arizona Stadium here, uh, 11 p.m. Eastern time on FS1. Gentlemen, give me Mike Leach in another Pac-12 after dark game with a third-year quarterback and an underrated 3-3-5 defense. I'm all in. Sign me up on this one. Mississippi State 4 and 1 against the spread their last 5 on the road. Mike Leach is 4 and 3 against the number against non-conference competition since he's been at Mississippi State. Arizona, Jed Fish, 2 and 2 against the spread non-conference so far, and he is 3 and 1 against the spread as a home dog here. Not too shabby. Will Rogers rolled Memphis last week for Mississippi State. They were up 35 to 3 early. Uh, it was a weird you know, delayed game because of thunderstorms, et cetera. Arizona looks like a completely different team under Jed Fish. Kyle, I'm going to start with you. Jaden DeLora and Jacob Cowing are explosive, absolutely explosive, not to mention Mississippi State. The defensive coordinator is Zach Arnett. He came from that San Diego State tree. They run the exact same 3-3-5 kind of defense that San Diego State runs at Mississippi State. I think these are two teams that are going to score a lot. What are you seeing on this one? Yeah, I mean, Arizona uh, Arizona Wildcats, uh, excuse me, are a much better team with uh, Jaden Delore and Jacob Cowing. I think Cowing is just a fantastic receiver. Uh, UTEP 
lost a lot when they lost him and Arizona picked up a lot. And Jaden Delora is a really talented guy that can keep things uh, happening with his legs as well. The question is, how much do you want to respect what they did in one game? It is just one game. Uh, I know Gary picked them on Three Dog Thursday last week, and I think people (laughs) probably doubted him. So plug there for for that. And Gary uh, had Arizona last week. That was a good call. Uh, San Diego State threw for 62 yards last week on 16 passing attempts. So this is a good Arizona secondary, right? And the, no, not, not so fast. Now, let me this, uh, let me go on and toss this out there. Braxton Burmeister apparently oh. does have a shoulder injury. So I don't – they're saying he might play this oh. weekend. So maybe that had something to do with it. But regardless – So he's bad and he's injured. Okay. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to give Braxton Burmeister too many excuses here. I mean, he's really not that good. So what I was going to say is I'm going to say not so fast, as Lee Corso would say. Uh, (laughs) Nothing against uh, that uh, San Diego State uh, offense, but they're not even close to Mississippi State. There's nothing that you're going to take from last week that's going to help you in any way uh, for this game. San Diego State's uh, plotting offense is nothing like Leach offense, obviously. Great offense is likely to expose the Arizona secondary, which I consider still a weakness. They brought in a lot of transfers. I don't think it's just going to be great right away. I think Cowing and Delora will create some big plays in just about every game. I'm honestly surprised this total dropped. Uh, I think a pretty strong lean to the over for me. And guys, I I mentioned this last week on one, and I'll say if, if a team total was an option right now, I would have an official play on this one. I think I will bet Mississippi State team total over, which if you look at the line right now, it should be about 35. So if it's 35 or less, I like Mississippi State team total over in this one. I think uh, Mississippi State on the side would certainly be my lean, and the over is my lean as well. Uh, It's not just a lean for me. Uh, Before we get over to you, Parker, I'm going to take the over 59 and a half uh, because this is Mike Leach in a Pac-12 after dark game. This game kicks off at 11 p.m. Eastern time, and you know that it's going to get weird. This game is more likely to hit 100 than it is to go under 59 and a half. That's just bonkers to me that this number has gone down from 61. So I am all in on this over. Parker, tell me what you like about this game. I know that you got to pick on it, but give me give me some thoughts here. Yeah, so uh, one, Gary, do have to apologize. I texted you this. We went head-to-head last week in our informal uh, informal bet, and I, I said I really didn't think uh, Arizona would be able to do it. The quarterback play for San Diego State was really bad, and and that offense was just not um, – just just wasn't there. I mean, Burmeister attempted three passes, just 10 uh, – just three passes, 10 yards downfield. He had a 60% adjusted completion rate on a 6.2 A dot. Not – just not good <laughs> – um, on the flip side, though, here's here's what Will Rogers is going to be able to do. He was four for five last week with three touchdowns on 20 plus yard uh, tosses, 84.4 um, percent adjusted completion, five touchdowns, 5.9 average depth of target. I wrote in my notes, crisp, not crispy. He is extremely crisp. The ball looked good. Again, death by a thousand cuts there. But as he matures, as he gets older, he's finding that downfield ball as well. I think there's just a versatility in the levels of an experienced air raid quarterback, that's going to be a little bit too much for Arizona's defense to handle sustainably throughout the course of the game. I think Mike Leach would love to run a hundred plays against, uh, against Arizona. That's, that's going to benefit them really, really well. Um, uh, on, on the flip side, looking at this kind of Jaden Delara, uh, Jacob Cowing connection, I think they're really good. I'm interested in how they were using him last week because um, ultimately uh, Cowing 
at 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 UTEP with with Gavin Hardison at quarterback, the gunslinger, was a go get it receiver. Right, twenty one percent of his usage was downfield, um, and uh, he had you know fifty fifty five or sorry, um, that's from this one. Uh, twenty one percent last season, yes, was was twenty plus yards downfield. Um, but this, this, they, they really didn't find him very much against San Diego state in that kind of deep threat. I think San Diego state still has a pretty competent defense. Um, and, and so I'm really wondering if he'll be more involved in the offense, if he can sustain that workload, um, knowing that last season, he really was just asked to go get it. Arizona, uh, found him, uh, 33% medium attempts last, last week. They, they really tried to get him the ball short. And so we'll see what his yards after catchability is, but I do feel like that Arizona offense is a one trick pony and Mississippi state's a lot more balanced. Their defense is is underrated um, as as well, especially in success rate. Twenty eighth in um, uh, defensive success rate allowed for Arizona State, um, and so I, I uh, excuse me for Mississippi State, and I, I think that their defense will be enough to kind of prevent that big play threat from ever materializing because Arizona is going to have to generate so much success to to get those opportunities. So I like. Mississippi State's offensive upside. I like Mississippi State defense to limit Arizona's um, offensive upside. I, I'm interested to see if Arizona can get cowing the ball in a in a way that kind of uh, highlights his abilities, not just, hey, you're the best receiver, we're going to throw it to you. Hey, can we get you the ball in the right spot for you to get those, those deep uh, 50-50 balls as well? So I like Mississippi State to cover here. Um, I, I liked it a little more. It was, it was a, little, a little less uh, earlier in the week, but I think it's at 11 right now, and I'd take this anywhere short of 13 and a half. Most certainly. Uh, Mississippi State opened seven and a half. They're all the way up to 11 here. And Parker is going to make it official. He likes Mississippi State to cover. And I like the over 59 and a half because I think this is going to go haywire. Mississippi State, one of the oldest teams in FBS, not to mention a possible showcase game for Mike Leach, making his first trip back out west since joining the Mississippi State program. That is going to take us to the Q&A, gentlemen. Before we do our picks recap, we've got to go through and answer some of these questions from the chat. We see all you guys. We certainly appreciate it. Keep throwing questions out there. We will do our best to answer everything and anything that we don't. We, of course, uh, always jump into the comments afterwards, so you can always go back and watch the show again. But we will answer any questions. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Those handles are in the description. We're starting off with Shane Cash. We're going to try and rapid fire this pretty quick. Dumbest question of the day is, will Ohio State and Michigan cover this weekend? Asking for a friend. Uh, Kyle, give me some thoughts here. These are massive lines. Ohio State favored by 44 over Arkansas State, I believe, and Michigan favored by over 50 against Hawaii. Ooh, uh, any thoughts? <laughs> uh, Teaser? You know, <laughs> I, I have to say first, uh, Arkansas State and Ohio State, this is actually going to be the first game that I've ever taken my son to Ohio Stadium. Nice. So uh, he's he's 0-3 going to basketball games. And it was kind of the running joke on the oh. Bet U.S. college basketball show that he was the freeze when it came to Ohio State. <laughs> so if they lose this game, I don't know if I can take him to any more Ohio State games. It's going to be terrible. There's no uh, way they lose to Butch Jones. There's no I way. was going to say, guys, uh, it, but the chat, I, you know, I really caution you from taking Arkansas State money line. Uh, you know, for this one, I, I would think I saw somebody else also commented they wondered about taking an under and a parlay. I'd be scared about taking an under in an Ohio State game against Arkansas State. Arkansas State's defense is so bad. Um, I think Notre Dame had a really good game plan against Ohio State. 
I think Ohio State would be happy to score quite a few points here. So I I would lean toward taking an over if I had to take anything there. And Michigan loves to run up the score against weaker teams. So uh, 51 points, it might not be enough. I tend to agree with you. Parker, let's move over to you on this one. Uh, Jordan Barnes says, do y'all really think Arkansas can beat South Carolina by eight? That is the current spread. It's in Fayetteville, uh, Razorback Stadium. Got a thought? I, I do. Um, I, I think you have to point out the fact that uh, Cincinnati went three of 10 on balls 20 yards downfield last week, and the dudes were open on all 10 of them. Um, I think if you're an Arkansas fan and you're watching that game, you're a little bit worried about that secondary because if Cincinnati had a little bit more touch at the quarterback position, man, that could have been a lot more uncomfortable. I have this just inside a touchdown for Arkansas. I think Arkansas is more talented, more consistent on offense and um, and, and more consistent on defense. But I mean, Spencer Rattler is a, uh, you know, a quarterback who has shown that he has the talent. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about Arkansas secondary in this game. So with that big performance, I don't know that I'm betting on Arkansas to be able to stop Spencer Rattler if they were letting Cincinnati's wide receivers get open. Yeah. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I I will say Spencer Rattler did not look good in the passing game last week. Uh, My blood pressure rose every time he decided to throw a pick somewhere. It it shouldn't have gone. I I was, I was irritated, but uh, their, their special teams, et cetera. Like I, Arkansas over a touchdown does not seem appealing to me. I do think that they are the better team and they are at home but there are so many different ways that South Carolina can cover and win this game. So, yeah, I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, Kyle, Big Trouble Jack says Virginia, Illinois. Uh, Virginia is a four-and-a-half-point dog here. You got a thought? Um, I would tend to want to bet Illinois, but laying four-and-a-half points is more than I'd want to bet here. Uh, you know, Belam is not a guy I like to lay a bunch of points with. Uh, they play a lot of close games. They were just housed by Virginia last year. You would think Illinois would be up for this game. And Virginia is a team I want to bet against, but I think four and a half is too many. So um, I would lean to the under at, um, I think it's 58. So that's getting pretty high for an Illinois game. Parker, let's go to you. Aramis Hall wants to know, will Nebraska cover 23 and a half against Georgia Southern? <laughs> we got Scott Frost and Clay Hilton here. What, what you got? I'll answer your question with a question. Do you want to bet on Scott Frost covering 23 and a half? <laughs> Georgia Southern put up, uh, what, 50, 59 points last week? Now, granted, it was against air, but, like, I, they seem to be all right. I I, I wouldn't were, necessarily bet points. against them. Yeah, so I, I have this, I have this like, in the, if this, yeah, I, I 21 seems like too many points here. I don't know that I'm going to bet on Georgia Southern here. Um, they at least do one thing well. They rush well, but also Nebraska's defense defends the rush well in the aggregate stats, but we watched the Northwestern game where they were getting pushed around a little bit. So I, I, I don't know. This is a case where the reason I wouldn't bet on this game is because I don't bet on Georgia Southern to have enough offensive juice to backdoor cover. And I don't bet uh, that Nebraska won't say like I'm I'm completely agnostic on Nebraska saying, hey, let's run it up and feel because we feel bad about ourselves and want to feel better. Or, hey, let's pack it in because we don't want to put anything else on film. I, I don't have a good read on what they're going to do there. And I think at that point, you're not betting about the relative quality at a line like 21 between these two teams, power five, G5. You're not betting the relative quality of a teams you're betting the decisions that coaches are going to make about what they want to do with their teams i don't have as good a grasp on that that makes sense that does make sense of course nebraska facing off against oklahoma next week uh seems like that game might be a little bit more important than covering 23 and a half here but regardless uh kyle roland mason what are your guys thoughts on utep versus new mexico state now he he also brought up west virginia kansas um you know what have your pick whichever one of those you would like to discuss 
UTEP and New Mexico State or West Virginia, Kansas. I don't know why anybody would ever bet UTEP and New Mexico State <laughs> unless you just had some kind of great information that nobody else knew. But uh, good grace. What would you got on, on either one of these? That's funny because I'll take UTEP and New Mexico State to talk about. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to take the under on that one for, uh, for my good. favorite. Guys, I love these sicko games that, you know, nobody's going to want to watch or something like that. I've definitely had the most success long term taking these way under the radar games, both in college basketball and college football. Uh, New Mexico State wants to stall. UTEP has been behind, so they've had to play quicker than they wanted to in the past. I think it'll be just a ridiculously slow tempo. So I'm going to I'm going to take the under in that one. A D-Gen special <laughs> rants throws into uh, into the chat here. Uh, hey, Parker, you answer this one. West Virginia, Kansas. So you and I kind of texted about this when, uh, the, when the line came out. I My number is a little off from this one. Now I decided not to take it because I would be betting on Kansas on the road, and that just feels weird, although I do trust Leipold. And I feel like after last week, Neil Brown may be feeling a little bit of pressure here. You got a thought on, on West Virginia, Kansas? Yes. Can I, am I allowed to say that I am officially declaring a pizza money bet on UTEP to cover? Um, <laughs> yes. On, on UTEP we'll, or we'll, on, on somebody else? No, on, on UTEP. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Pizza money. Yeah. So, so I want, I want that. I think my numbers have where they're, they're I think their offensive ability there is a little bit high. I think the, um, I think they'll be able to, score some points there. So we'll call that an official pizza money bet. But um, talking about uh, Kansas, West Virginia. Yeah. The issue is I don't, I don't want to bet on, I don't want to bet on Kansas here. I have this within 10 points that terrifies me. Right. But I'm trying to be objective, trying to look at the numbers. Uh, West Virginia looked like they didn't really understand necessarily what they wanted to do offensively last week. And once they kind of figured it out, they got hit with a couple of big drops. They got hit with a um, interception return that again, that doesn't reflect the actual value of the play, right? Because like, uh, okay, the guy was in this, the guy was in this position. He was able to run it back. That doesn't necessarily tell me a lot about West Virginia's offense. So I think that um, uh, overall, I I don't want to bet on Kansas, but if you made me, I would bet on Kansas here, which is why I'm not betting on this game. So I I like what Kansas is able to do consistency with the run. I think West Virginia's run defense is a little bit better than their past defense, but Jalen Daniels can sling the ball. So there might be an opportunity to exploit that. I like the balance that Kansas is bringing this year. I am having to actively remind myself that I think Kansas over two and a half is a great bet and I'm rooting for that. Uh, But that does not mean that Kansas magically turns into a six-win team this season. And I think a six-win team, Kansas, would win this game. But the over-two-and-a-half team that I'm looking at, I don't think they're actually that good. I've got to talk myself back from, okay, I know who they are. So not betting this one. I'm I'm the same way here. Uh, we got a couple of pizza money questions here. Uh, First, we'll go with Sean's. It says, how do we define pizza money bets, coin flips or sicko fun bets? Uh, Kyle, how would you define that? So I would define a pizza money bet as you're not going to worry about it near as much as you would a normal bet, right? Because it's such a small amount that you say, if it loses, it loses. I can go about my life. Don't worry about it. Obviously, you don't want to worry about any bet that you make so much that it changes you completely. But, you know, pizza money bets. it's fun to have action, right? It's fun right, to have it's action fun. If you want to have some action on a game, I don't define it as a coin flip, though, because I don't want to bet on anything that's a total coin flip. You know, <laughs> if it's 50-50, I'm passing. So... Uh, no, no, not a coin flip. Pizza money means it's a lot smaller than a normal bet, but I like it some. Most certainly. By the way, we hit 300 live viewers. Awesome. You guys go ahead and hit that like button for us if you would so kindly. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. By the way, we are inching ever closer to 6,000 subscribers. And then after that, 
We're going for seven. We're going for eight, et cetera. Uh, we've already blown through the goal for the season so far, but we want to continue raising that thing. So hit that subscribe button for us. Uh, let's see. We're going to do, oh, hey, how about this one? Uh, Parker, is is UTEP your best pizza money game? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Now you put me on the spot, I'm going to think about it and overthink it. I actually kind of like Maryland versus Charlotte, depending on where you can get the line. I know it's getting a little high, but I think that's one where you're like, okay, I'm probably not going to watch this game otherwise. Maryland's offense is a little spicy. Charlotte seems to be packing it in. Maybe that'd be fun to throw a couple bucks on it, but I, I don't, again, not not like as an official play or anything that I'm saying, hey, there's value here. Just um, that would be one where it's like, eh, maybe I'll watch the game a little bit more if I toss a couple dollars on this. If, uh, if, so from what I'm reading, Chris Reynolds is back uh, practicing for Charlotte this week. If I was going to go any direction, I'd probably go with an over on Maryland and Charlotte because I like cheering for points. That's the way I'm going. Kyle, you got a favorite uh, pizza money bet this week? Is it going to be that uh, UTEP under? Uh, yeah, it's it's either that or the Mississippi State team total over one of those. I like both of those as as uh, pizza money bets, and I don't mind the Maryland bet because Loxley's crew they run it up in some of those non-con games as well. So uh, that and the over makes a lot of sense. And man, guys, the chat's on fire. I love the uh, biggest bet of the season. Does Scott Frost end up working at IV or BK? Oh man, we got a great great chat today. Oh, you have got that right. Uh, however, we have gone way over way over and that's okay uh because we're gonna do that basically all the time we like talking about this wonderful crazy beautiful ridiculous sport uh but it is time for us to get into our picks recap so let's go ahead and take a look at what our best bets of the day are parker you go ahead first i like air force minus 18 at home and i like mississippi state minus 11 on the road the pirate after dark i'm believing in him i love it i am gonna ride in the cyhawk trophy game I'm taking Iowa State to cover three and a half. And I know that that's not uh, trending the right way, but I think that this is the year. So give me Iowa State plus three and a half. Arizona State plus 11 on the road in Stillwater. I like Herm Edwards in this spot. And I'm going to take the over 59 and a half with Mike Leach's Mississippi State Bulldogs and the Arizona Wildcats. I think they both will score. This thing could get crazy out of hand. Kyle, what have you got? I'm going to agree with Parker and take Air Force here to lay the wood against um, a Colorado team. That's a pretty bad team. And then I'll take Oregon State and Fresno State over 59 and a half this week. Most certainly. Gentlemen, it has been another fine show, another fine Wednesday show. And we will be doing this again all over next Tuesday and Wednesday. Go ahead and remind everybody, like the video for us, subscribe to the channel if you've not already, and make sure that you hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live every single week, Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time right here. If you can't get here for the live show, we do have the audio version. It is the BetUS football show on your favorite podcast app, Apple, Spotify, whatever. And please leave a nice five-star written review if you would so kindly. Along with that, jump in the comments afterwards. We want to know what your picks are. We want to know what the games you like are, etc. What are your opinions on these games? Go ahead and toss in your comments. You never know. We might be in there just yeah, maybe tossing some things around. So a couple of you were, were maybe talking a little trash about me, I think, during week zero. Uh, yeah, I jumped in. I jumped in. I have no problem going back and forth. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's do that. Get those picks in. Gentlemen, let's go ahead and get out of here. For BetUS, where the game begins... God bless college football, and we will see you all again next week.